We are live. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another Educator Innovator Hangout on Air. I'm your host for this Hangout, Rachel Baer, and I'm a Senior Program Associate at the National Writing Project. This Hangout is one of a series of June webinars tied to NWP's Letters to the Next President 2.0 Summer Make Cycles. Letters to the Next President engages and connects young people, age 13 to 18, as they research, write, and make media to voice their opinions on issues that matter to them in the coming election. Today's discussion focuses on how to make an effective argument while respecting and acknowledging legitimate disagreement, something we're focusing on to prepare young people to write letters to the next president as we approach the election this fall. For those of you watching this Hangout live, we encourage you to post your thoughts, your ideas, your questions via the Q&A feature, which is embedded in the video player. We'll be live tweeting this conversation um, at innovates underscore ed. And you can also tweet questions and follow, follow along using the hashtag, hashtag 2 nextprez P-R-E-Z. So to begin, we're going to start with brief introductions from all of the guests we have today. So please tell us briefly who you are, what organization or school you're coming from. Uh, so Tom, would you start us off? Hi, everybody. My name is Tom Fox. I'm Associate Director of Site Development for the National Writing Project. I'm co-director of the National Writing Project's College Ready Writers Programs, and I've taught college writing for over 30 years. Linda? Hi, um, I'm Linda Denstead. I am the co-director of the Oakland Writing Project. That's Oakland is in Michigan. And, um, and I also am on the leadership team for the College Ready Writers Program. Hi, everybody. I'm Casey Olson, and I'm a Montana Writing Project teacher consultant. I work at Columbus High School in Columbus, Montana, where I teach uh, 10th grade English, and I also teach, uh, teach a uh, 12th grade dual enrollment course that is the equivalent of College Composition 101, and I also serve on the College Ready Writers Program leadership team. Great. So thank you so much, and welcome to all of you. So um, all three, Tom, Linda, and Casey, all mentioned their role working on the College Ready Writers Program. So we thought we would start this webinar just by talking a little bit about what the College Ready Writers Program is. So basically, um, the central goal of the College Ready Writers Program is to help students become skilled at writing arguments from nonfiction sources. So the way that the program works is by integrating curricular resources, formative assessment, professional reading and professional conversations around the teaching of arguments. Um, and, and one thing that's you know, really notable about the College Ready Writers Program for the topic of our webinar today is that it answers a contemporary call for respectful argumentative discourse. So the instructional resources that we have for the College Ready Writers Pro Program help teachers and students read critically, explore multiple points of view, and finally to take a stand on important issues. So, you know, as a central part of this is this whole idea of respectful argumentative discourse. And we often refer to this respectful argumentative discourse as civil discourse. So to get us going, thinking more about the, you know, specifically thinking about how to argue the college-ready writer's way and what it means to engage in civil discourse in the classroom, let's have Tom maybe just get us started and tell us what, what, what do we mean by civil discourse and what is its place in argument. So I thought it was really interesting the more I thought about it, um, about the word civil uh, to begin with, is that it kind of has two meanings. And one is like, uh, like a community meeting, meaning or uh, 
regular people, like as opposed to military or anything. It's civil society, and um, or like civil engineering is like all of the kinds of engineering that go into making water systems, sewer systems, electronic, uh, you know, electrical systems. So like all of the concerns about community that involves everyday people. So that's one idea of civil, which I kind of was attracted to when I thought about it. The other one is like being polite, but it's not just always being polite. It's being polite in difficult situations where you know you you're in a in an area where you know you disagree with something and you're and you're wanting to be civil, you know, or you're trying to be civil. So those two meanings of the word civil, they kind of merge when it's paired with the word discourse because it is civil discourse that involves a community and involves um, the interests of regular people. And it's also like uh, trying to be respectful, kind, and generous across disagreements. So I thought that was really interesting when I thought of the meanings of civil and how they merge in the in the phrase civil discourse. So in the College Ready Writers program, um, what happens is teachers help students find topics that concerns others. That's the first meeting of, of, of civil. And then, and then the teachers help them negotiate and respect multiple points of view, which is like embedded in the second meaning of civil. So what in general the program is trying to do is, is present argument as a counter to maybe propaganda or bombast or you know uh, having unsubstantiated claims so in our program we hope that students write effective arguments because they're encouraged to think of their audience the, the ones they're trying to convince and the ones who may disagree with them as smart and ethical people it's a high bar to do that it's harder to convince a smart and ethical person of something than it is to pretend that your audience is uh, you know an idiot or something, I don't know. Um, so this higher bar requires um, sympathetic and critical reading of others' point of view. So this is a real distinctive feature of the College Ready Writers program. It's a sophisticated use of nonfiction sources that supports students using their sources intentionally to advance their own opinion, their own claim, but not just to tear down the other side. So um, I think it's like, there's a timeliness to this given um, the election year and the kinds of discourse our politicians are engaging in. And I, I think that students are kind of struggling to see adult models that they want, they want you know, to, to emulate. So um, I, yeah, I've heard a story of, a, of a, um, you know, one of our colleagues whose daughters just like looked at um, some of the news and said, Mom, why are they talking that way? So I think it's really critical now for us to um, take the stance towards argument that's generous and inclusive. I'm really grateful to have Casey Olson and Linda Denstedt uh, with us tonight um, to uh, talk about how it plays out in classrooms and in um, CRWP professional development. Um, so Rachel, uh, take it away and introduce the next section. Yeah, I was really, I'm glad that you um, talked about that example of students who are saying, why are 
why are adults talking to each other this way? Because it's actually come up in a lot of the conversations around letters to the next president where teachers want to have students explore and talk about some of these hard issues that matter to them in this election right now. But if they don't have models and support in, in having those civil conversations, then people get worried that it's going to like that it's not going to work in the classroom, that we can't talk about this stuff because it's too heated and emotional. So I'm with you and really happy to have, you know, both Linda and Casey here to help us see how we can create a safe place for students to really think and talk and write critically the way you've described um, through the College Ready Writers program resources. So, um, so, so we're going to switch over to Linda and hear from here a little bit. And Linda, I'm wondering if you will talk a little bit more specifically about about the College Ready Writers Program principles and resources and how they create generous spaces in the classroom that can then transfer out of the classroom and into other aspects of students' lives. Oh, thank you. I'd love to, Rachel. Um, actually, when I think about the CRWP principles, let's start there, um, I, I want to say that they really emerged from the National Writing Project principles that we all know. Um, this, and, and to name a few, it's just that belief in writing and choice and inquiry. Um, but however, the CRWP, I think it calls students and teachers to live in classrooms in very specific ways that do develop the, the civil discourse that Tom was dis describing. And, and so I'm going to talk about just a few things that actually, I think, over time, um, make that happen in classrooms. So the first the first thing I think about when I think about CRWP is that it really serves as an open invitation. Um, in CRWP classrooms, students and teachers really come together to develop a culture of argument, really at the beginnings, and then extending throughout the year. And, and they join in these conversations uh, about current and local national issues. Um, and it's not, it's not to, it's not really, in fact, I'm going to not say not. It's, it's really to in, engage students um, with issues that, that move them to respectfully seek multiple views um, in order to understand what's at stake, really. Um, not just for them, what's at stake for them, but, but for individuals and, and other individuals involved and other, and other students in the classroom who may have different views. So ultimately, students see themselves as thoughtful listeners and clear voices in any conversation they enter or argument they write. Another important piece, I think, is that CRWP really focuses on growth across time. It, it, and it provides an essential frame for the CRWP units in that belief that, that they will grow to be stronger and more independent argument writers across a year or multiple years. Um, and, and this really comes from a very innovative design that I absolutely love, um, which is the, the mini, the mini unit, um, which is really only one week. Um, and, and this mini unit um, really provides multiple entrances and opportunities um, to develop foundational argument skills gradually. So let me give you a couple examples. In early argument units, the um, like making informal arguments and writing into the day um, to jumpstart argument, 
which build, these units build foundational skills and habits essential to respectful discourse. So let's look at some of them. And, and I want to say, in some ways, these units are magical because they're a lovely launch. Um, they, they help students to put, and, and position students to see themselves as thinkers, um, to see themselves as someone who makes claims. And, and so they capture their emerging and changing views in the margins of text, on the page of a writer's notebook, and in conversation with peers. Um, it is noteworthy that the units encourage students um, to decide what evidence is significant and compelling to them. It is also, I think, really striking. I found it striking that um, an early foundational skill um, is to describe the conversation among nonfiction sources. I think those two things are significantly different um, in the ways of some students engage in arguments in classrooms. Positioned in this way, um, first reactions provide a conscious launch to explore their own views as they dig deeper into an issue, um, asking questions and making connections in conversations with peers. CRWP is not a search for the right answer, for the right evidence, um, for the right claim, or even to support a first thought claim. It is a search for respect of multiple views and evidence to support an informed claim. I think Casey will probably talk about that a lot more later. Um, a next set, um, when we move a little further, the next set of mini units um, start, start making a shift. They focus on evidence and decision-making skills um, that develop more sophisticated claims and logical reasoning. Um, students move to connecting, organizing, and ranking evidence. And, and here, they still search for significant and compelling evidence, um, a skill they learned in, in the early units. Um, but they also see ways evidence can be valid or limited. Um, this is frequently the place students become more comfortable as argument writers. Um, here, audience becomes important. Peer conversations become even more essential as students realize talking through their structures and the ways they're thinking about putting together reasoning and reasons, um, that, that reasoning is much more than just reasons. Um, that it's, it's making sense for an audience. So they experiment on how they make sense of and use and comment on sources to write logical arguments. Uh, and so let's just keep going. The later mini units, um, units like making a case in an op-ed and extended arguments, provide a space for students to speak out on local issues they become agents of change. Here, they become civically responsible writing, civically responsible, I'm sorry, writing for submission to a local paper or a blog. So it's, it's really growth across a year or multiple years that brings students to understand the value of civil discourse and do it respectfully. It's not an overnight, it's something that doesn't happen immediately. But taking up this stance on civil discourse, um, CRWP builds argument skills, but I, I think it also develops identities. Um, 
I, I think it changes the way students see themselves. Um, it, it's really the identities as a claim maker, claim makers right. who are observant participants in the world. Um, well, so I, I like Linda. I really love what you're saying because it's it's about. Um, I mentioned that you know we set a higher bar for argument, um, but you're explaining like why then to get to that higher bar, it takes time. And it takes uh, a lot of pr progression and accrual of practices that go with a really sophisticated argument. But, but the cool thing, I mean, the really great thing is that we have seen students really be motivated to do this and to come up with pretty fabulous projects and arguments and everything. Exactly, and I, I think it's when I love that word that you use. It's the practices that they take up, the practices of argument writers, of of claim makers, and so I think the second identity that actually uh, emerges is that students see themselves as argument writers. I think a lot of the teachers they um, they the or the the student they say that their students actually. Are are embracing themselves as as argument thinkers as well, mm -hmm. and, and I think these strategies and argument moves um, really drive them toward decision making, which students actually embrace. Um, so I think there's one more identity that um, we've observed as students um, move through the units and and through the practices, um, is that they become informed citizens. Um, and citizens that are able to enter or create local conversations and and Casey's work um, with his students really demonstrates the importance of students believing that they can create a local conversation. Um, I just wanted to add one thing that I've been th that I'm thinking about. I, I, well, I guess two things probably. The first is that I agree with Tom that I appreciate how your explanation illustrated, Linda, that it doesn't like creating this culture for civil discourse doesn't happen right away, and then it takes ta time and practice and reminders over the course of the year for students to, to try it in different ways and with different topics. Um, and then the other thing is that we've seen when I was thinking about when you talked about informed citizens is that not only do these, as these students try this stuff out, do they learn that they should look at multiple perspectives, it also becomes natural for them to seek multiple perspectives. And so they might even read a text set and see something that's missing from that text set and go themselves to try to find more information about what those perspectives might be or, or to, to help themselves further understand what the issue is. So it's, it's like they're not, even, they're not being forced to do this. They, learn to embrace it and it becomes part of their identity, um, like you said. And, and I think CRWP really offers students to try on roles that are unfamiliar um, mm -hmm. at first, um, but as, as they move along, and, and I think with multiple years of this work, I mean, we're, we're really setting the stage for democratic citizenship. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. So we've mentioned Casey and all the 
wonderful things they'll be able to talk about and share with us. Um, but so Casey, I'm wondering if you'll talk about what this looks like in your classroom and the work that you've done with your students and how you have helped students come to an informed view and take on their own bias even and ultimately become participants in arguments outside of the classroom. So how do you how how have you done this with your students in Montana? Okay. Thanks, Rachel. Um, I think there's multiple layers here, which I've, I've heard in what Tom and Linda have said um, so far as well. Um, so I want to try to point out some of those layer to, layers to try to answer your question. I, I was working with a group of teachers in professional development last week, and we were talking about this very thing. And, and one high school English teacher in the group asked me how I kept students from taking on huge controversial topics like abortion and gun control because, you know, they're scary. and it can go wrong very quickly and students can just become even deeper entrenched in the place where they started from. And I think, you know, the real issue there is that, that when a student does that, no learning takes place. And if what we're doing in the classroom is learning, then we, we aren't accomplishing anything if we just stay in one spot. So I, I, I heard that, you know, and I, um, he shared some observations about those topics and I think some of it I, I absolutely agree with that I, I see those things happening as well and I, I think the first thing I've heard, heard is that you know research and writing about controversial topics can be scary. I mean as teachers we worry about admins, we worry about parents, we worry about the community and we worry about the students themselves. Um, certainly turning students loose in controversy without the necessary critical thinking skills and understandings is definitely scary. And uh, like I said, let's be honest, it could go wrong very quickly. Um, some topics seem at least on their surface to be hopeless and the side seems to be so far apart that they might never come together and um, they might never be civic. Uh, they, it, at least that's the way it seems on the surface. Um, the public, in, including students and their teachers, can be, become so entrenched in that given position that they find it really difficult to hear what the opposing side is saying. So there's quite a bit of talk in education about bringing real-world learning and, and conversations into the classroom, and, and I would take that a step further to answer all of these concerns that this teacher brought up in, the, in this, in this uh, professional development setting. Um, I would say that our classrooms are the real world, and, and our classrooms should reflect all those controversies. And how can we truly realize this real-world, genuine learning if, if we don't bring real-world issues into the classroom? So we need to work toward these topics with our students, and that's that's real education. That you know, real learning can happen when we bring in these topics, and they prepare students to be active, engaged, thinking, contributing members of college, career, and community conversations. Casey, one of the things I was thinking of as you're talking about these topics is um, is that the CRWP resources have a period of wanting to know something they don't know. So. Sometimes with like a topic of abortion, for someone who is, you know, deeply committed to a point of view, there's actually nothing to learn. Mm -hmm. so, so a citizen, uh, when confronted by a new issue, what we hope is that they would want to learn about it first. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, a, that's one of the criteria that I think work really well to have students focus in on a topic that will be productive for them is if they if they agree they have something to learn about it. Um, and and so that period of inquiry is what I was thinking about. Absolutely. Um, and and so how do we do that? And I, I think I, I think that there has to be that inquiry. Um, you know I 
I, I think that students, I, I think there's three big things, but I think it's th that's the first one. Um, you know, we have to enter into uh, these, these areas of possibility and not necessarily say you can't go here, but open up all the areas of possibility and have that inquiry um, so that students can jump in and sort through the perspectives in those new areas of learning. And I think it's really crucial for developing civic di discourse among young people to go there and go there often. So I say that when students want to write about abortion or gun control or teacher tenure or nuclear power or the war on terror, um, I, I think we should go there if there's something to learn there. But we must um, set our students up to get something educational out of it. Um, students should learn from the research that they do. As I, th I think that's what Tom was saying. Um, and so to accomplish this, we as teachers must set up our, our assignments and writing prompts in a way that students have the room and time and the means to get informed. They need to learn uh, authentic research. And they need to learn about some you know, credi credible sources of information. And they need to be able to critically examine their sources and determine a hierarchy of credibility amongst those sources. And the last big thing um, I see is that um, we, we must have I think it's just as important as the first two, that students must come to understand perspectives that they disagree with. And I'm not saying they have to change their minds about the, you know, what they thought, feel about the, the, the issue, but I am saying that they need to hear what others have to say, and they must be able to articulate what others believe without manipulating what's being said. Um, they must come to understand what others think as well as the, as well as the others do. And I think it all comes back to how we design our assignments and our prompts. Um, our assignments need – go ahead. So, Casey, so you, I just want to call out that you're, what you're really saying here is what Tom started with. It's that high bar. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you're asking students to do something that's difficult for them. Um, and, and so when, when you think about that, how does that work in your classroom? How do, how do they actually take on and, and look and – at someone else's view and really try to understand it. Mm. So uh, the, the word I use frequently uh, is it's complex, it's complicated. And I, I think that is an important word for us to throw around in professional development, but I think it's, a, it's an important word to throw around in the classroom. Like this is really complex. Or when a student pulls up something new that, that adds something new to a topic that we're all discussing together, you know, point out, call out the, the complexity that they're adding to the conversation. Um, but as, as far as, like, the individual student in, on their individual product, um, you know, the seniors I worked with this spring wrote extended arguments on topics of their own choosing um, from an extended argument assignment available on the CRWP website. And they, they took a position on the issue. They explored um, where their own bias on the issue comes from. And then they wrote two literature reviews based on their research. And the first literature review is about the perspectives and the evidence from those who would disagree with the student's initial position. So they had to go through in a, in, in a literature review format where they um, objectively reported what the other side or other sides have to say on that issue. So let's say they're very entrenched about um, gun control. And this is why I think, uh, you know, if a student's very entrenched on gun control, if you can set up the prompt in a way that causes that student to look at the other side, not necessarily to change their mind, but to understand how what other people believe on that topic. So if that student be believes that gun control is the most important topic that they can write about, then that's the topic I think they should write about. If the step is in place for that student to look at the other side objectively. 
to be able to articulate what um, gun control proponents believe in a way that they, you know, that student could actually sit down across the table from them and tell them what they believe and that, that gun control proponent across the table would say, yes, that's what I believe. Um, if that student can do that, I think they are growing over the course of addressing a, a controversial topic that they feel very strongly about. The second literature review is about sources that uh, agreed with their initial position. And if, if we think about positions on an issue as a continuum, with neutral being in the middle, you know, we often see this, you know, uh, this setup uh, where students would want to be on one side or the other of an issue, but they start to see all the positions they can take in between. Um, even if they make a small shift to the opposing side, I, I often call it like a nod, a tip of the hat to the opposing side, that they acknowledge that they're there and that they have thoughts and some of them are valid, um, that they are actually making a stronger argument. Um, and so by having students work through those two literature reviews, they get informed on the issue. And the last step is to write a conclusion where they sort through it um, in their writing and um, call out the important evidence that was, that was brought up, the important um, claims that seemed really substantiated over the course of their research and kind of work through as to where their, their position is now having done the research. Um, and, and that all comes back to the design of the prompt. If the, if the prompt is set up in a way that causes a student to take a journey through an issue, a controversial issue, one that they might feel very strongly about, but they take that journey and they have to reflect back at the, in the end and say, this is where I started and this is what I went through and this is where I ended up, uh, you know, learning happened there. And, um, you know, we, we took those uh, topics, we worked, put them through that extended argument um, on, through the CRWP model and then based on these informed positions, the students in my 12th grade English class wrote letters to the next president, making informed arguments, you know, acknowledging alternative perspectives, but making their case in smart, smart ways on controversial topics. Um, and I, I just think CRWP puts a real premium on becoming informed before expressing one's viewpoints. You know, certainly students who have these CRWP experiences and skills, you know, uh, you know are, are ready for college level academic writing, but they're also ready to read and to write and to argue and to be agents of causes that are important to them in their local communities and the career fields they'll choose. Um, you know, being college ready is just the beginning. So it, as we look at the relationship um, between argument and, you know, opportunities like letters to the next president, um, this type of argument, writing instruction, empowers students to have a voice in the world. Academic argument is a way to engage with the world, empowers them to speak up about their concerns in positive, meaningful ways. Um, it provides them opportunities to speak up about problems they see in the world and in their communities that they feel adults aren't paying attention to. And when we teach students to write arguments, we're empowering them to be positive, active, solution-oriented citizens so that they can become informed participants in their local communities and in their American democracy. Casey, I've always appreciated the fact that the first literature review is an exploration of the other perspective so that that's where they start before they move to their own perspective and looking for research behind that. Um, and then I also appreciate what you said about students recognizing that if they acknowledge, at least have a tip of the hat to the other perspective, it makes their argument stronger. Mm -hmm. Because what it shows is that they're not just pretending that that other 
you know, that that other perspective doesn't exist. They're saying, yes, it does exist, and I've thought through it, and I still believe what I believe, and here are my reasons why. So that, it, it, in a sense, it really does, because oftentimes what we see in the public is that people just ignore the other side and focus only on their own perspective. Yeah, I, there's a, a quote that I, from uh, Donald Lazier in Reading and Writing for Civic Literacy that I really uh, hold dear to. He just basically says that you will never convince those who already disagree with you uh, if you manipulate or ignore what they have to say. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important for students to understand that it, you're only going to convince the people that already agree with you if you don't go there and learn what the other side has to say. Casey, I, um, I know that uh, in addition to the work you've described that some of your students have um, written to the local newspaper. Um, tell us how that kind of fits in as well. I think that's an interesting uh, real real world experience uh, arguing. So I, I think that too goes back to uh, what you were defining as, as civic at the beginning, yeah. Tom. Um, you know, it's that's an extended research opportunity that I give to my sophomore, my uh, sophomore classes, my, my 10th graders, where they look at issues locally in our in our local community within the confines of our of our county and things that are being talked about in the news things that are being talked about around their dinner table that affect us locally and they go to great lengths to be informed on that on those topics you know yeah. so for an example in the most recent um, opportunity that we took up doing this work I, I had a group of students who were looking at a road closure on, on a local uh, dirt road that we have here in our county that follows the Stillwater River, um, and a rock slide occurred that, that blocked off that road. So residents who live upstream from that road have to drive an extra 35 to 45 minutes out of their way now to get to town, and, and it, it really blocked off a, a main flow of traffic in our community. Um, and so I had a group of students who were really upset about that, that uh, almost a year later that, that rock slide hadn't been cleaned up and, you know, the road hadn't been open. So they started doing their research on it. They wanted to fix that. And the more they got into it, they, they started looking into what the engineers, the engineering companies who, who looked at it for the county had to say. And they looked at um, diagrams of, of the fault lines in this huge rock that are, that's waiting to fall. Um, and they saw the price tag attached to that, that the, the county would have to pay millions of dollars to fix it, that millions of dollars that we don't have. Um, and they, after becoming informed, had to realize that what the county was doing by just leaving it was actually the most cost-effective and safest way to handle the, the problem as it is okay. right now. That's great. And, and so there are a lot of opinions in the community about that issue, but here are two students who started out with the... With the uh, with the position that the county was wrong and are now writing a letter to the editor to inform the rest of the community about how the county is actually handling it the right way in the most responsible way. Um, that you know that's an opportunity for students to add you know not only learn from the position they took but also then inform others um, and and show others the the rational uh, thoughts that they have as a result of becoming informed on that issue and, and it can be done on a national level with like letters to the next president or it can be done locally with a letter to the local you know newspaper local local editor but it's it's kind of like you know you could think about this as opportunities to um, send letters to decision makers you know right. 
it's it's very flexible and adaptable to any um, environment, any community out there that you can find decision makers that you can write to, and students can write their uh, write these decision makers about the information and the arguments they want to make to them, and and give them a real world audience. And it, I mean, that's you can't get more real world than that. They're they're actually trying to affect change in their local community. Yeah, yeah, that's an awesome example. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's such a good point and a reminder about, you know, the power of the letters to the next president is that students are writing letters that are to an authentic audience about issues that really matter to them. So, and then to think about local connections and moving forward even after the election is over and how the same kind of writing can continue. Um, so I want to transition to our last topic to make sure we get some time to talk about this, and that is how this plays out in professional development. So what kinds of things happen with teachers and then with their students as they learn about and experience arguments the CRWP way? So Tom, will you get us started talking about you know what, what happens in professional development as teachers learn about teaching argument in this way? Sure. There was a, a teacher in our program that uh, that that w in one of our meetings stood up and uh, we were talking a, about our the students and this was when you know the program started to really show that it was working and uh, she had to say, well, I, I'm very pleased about the students, but I I want to I want to talk about how much I've changed and she described a shift in her own life actually. Um, that mirrored what we're talking about with the students, that she had become more involved in um, in the world around her, that she had more of a voice, that she felt a sense of agency that was greater than when she started the program. It was very interesting to hear her speak and 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 quite moving too. Um, and then I was um, we have a, a G plus community where uh, teachers are just starting to explore the program in advanced institutes with the National Writing Project. And um, uh, Melissa Newell from Boise State wrote this where she said, the word argument did not jive with me when I first saw how prominent it was in the Common Core standards. The connotation of the world made me at, at first think kids would be required to take stances on issues and forced to argue one side, contributing to much of the polarization that we see today. I wished instead there was a standard for cooperation, collaboration, and civility, which I think is like a lovely thing to say. And then after she looked at the CRWP, she said, however, my thinking has completely changed. Now I can see that with CRWP, the argument and the way in which we teach about it is about a conversation and looking at issues from multiple points of view. It's about creating a culture of civil discourse, empathy, and understanding. It's, a give, it's about giving the kids tools to understand, read, write, and communicate about complex issues. And actually, it sounds like we, we, we like made that up because it fits so perfectly with what we're saying. But that was just a spontaneous uh, comment uh, on, in the G Plus community that I think it's true that um, for teachers, sometimes their only experience with writing argument comes from uh, a freshman composition class that may have been several years ago and may not have been a very good example of of argument. I think that the CRWP in our um, desire to want the very best for um, our world and for our students um, has really um, 
enrich the idea of argument. So uh, those are those are my examples that I thought it was interesting that uh, the student shift and the teacher shift in identities that Linda and Casey both talked about, you know, they, they're parallel. What about you, Linda? Linda, you're muted. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> so um, actually, I um, when when I, I knew you were going to ask this question, I actually went and uh, and talked with uh, some teachers uh, just in the last few days, and and really asked them. How, how did the professional development and the ways that this work occurred in their classrooms actually change, change them, change their students? Because as we talked and, uh, and met regularly across a year, um, they were seeing argument not as some distant thing that was not their favorite thing to do, being teachers of literature, loving literature, to take up argument, especially in this significant way, um, was not uh, was was really a learning experience, and so so. But what they found is that stepping into argument um, was really far more enjoyable and became equally important to them. Um, and 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 the teachers and the students alike um, just went in and tried it, um, and and took up the practices, as Tom said. Um, and and there is a great deal of power in just engaging with unfamiliar practices, even unfamiliar subjects. Um, one teacher um, said the students they thought the students would have very difficult time with wild horses. I mean, or driverless cars. These are urban kids; they don't have cars, and they've never even seen a wild horse except for maybe on TV. And and the the kids engaged in, in such a high level and were so interested and, and, and really cared about these topics. If, in fact, they were surprised. Um, one teacher uh, talked to me today and said, you know, I didn't really know what writing a nuanced claim was. Um, and, and my students and I learned how to do that and, and, and that it actually existed. And what could happen when you considered an informed view went at finding an informed view, and then wrote a nuanced claim. Um, and, the, and they, and again and again, as I talked to all three teachers, they could list things that were new to them in CRWP that they just tried and did, that their students joined them in this journey, and, and the eye-opening ways that they saw the world and their abilities um, actually change in the doing. That makes me think what you said about what Casey said earlier, and that's that this stuff is complex. And you know, you and Tom actually both talked about it too, that students are doing hard things. And I've also seen that what you described with teachers, that they look at it and think, oh, my students can't do this for whatever reason. And then I always just say, just try. And then they do. And they say, oh my gosh, they can do these complex things. Like if they're provided this opportunity to try it, then they'll do it with practice and support and, like Casey said, being honest even about the fact that this is a complex thing, but that they can do it. So something I would add into all this then as well as we think about opportunities like letters to the next president, um, I, I think it became really apparent to me that as, as students thought about what they might write to this next president, um, 
many of them got caught up in who the next president was going to be, and that affected what they were thinking about and how they were, what they were going to say. And it started sliding a lot of them back into these entrenched positions. So um, as we started to think about it, we, we actually were addressing our letters like, dear next president. And I tried to get them to think about what you would say to the next president, regardless of who it was, about the issue. Because the issue is what's important, and your argument has to come back to the issue. And that seemed to really help because, you know, the issue was something that they were informed on. The issue was something that they could make a rational argument on. And um, helping steer the conversation back to the issue, I think, is something that definitely helps um, civic discourse. So Casey, would you add anything else about this question um, as far as what happens in professional development, maybe even in your own experience as you learned about thinking about argument this way and teaching it this way in your classroom? So I guess the biggest thing for me is that CRWP professional development for teachers looks much like what it looks like for students, what students experience. You know, teachers are introduced to the CRWP resources and materials by, by being learners themselves. And um, I think that puts teachers in a really great position to anticipate and address their students' needs. As, uh, you know, as, as we take on issues together in professional development, it helps us um, help students later on in our own classrooms as they take on issues. So as someone who's experienced that professional development, as, as a professional learner myself, I can tell you that it's made all the difference in in my development as a teacher and as a teacher leader. And I think it's great for my students to see that I'm not finished learning, that, that um, I can enter into an issue. Often, like if, if, we're, if students in the classroom are, are choosing different topics, I'm usually a learner right along with them on that topic. And I think that carries over into professional development as well. I can be a learner as to what, to what I, I um, meet up with, whether it's the content of the issues that I see in, in like a CRWP professional development, or it's the structure, the ways that others are teaching uh, argument, the way they're they're setting up their prompts and their assignments. I can be a learner in that as well, and I, um, I, I think it's just good to, that students see that adults are uh, should never be done with learning. And as teachers, we have to make time for what's important, and that's that's definitely important. So I I've never had more confidence as a teacher as I do in teaching argument. I feel like um, when my students are taking on these issues, that we're, at, we're doing something with our learning and that we're getting a lot of traction with, with the content that, that we're pulling in, that, that the individual students are pulling in things that really fit with what um, all the other students need. So, you know, if you have a classroom full of, of conversations that are going on. You have uh, multiple spots where students can get informed. Well, in professional development, when teachers have all of these things going on in their own classrooms and they come back together and share about what's happening with arguments in their classrooms, teachers can learn from each other in much the same way. So I think there just needs to be an open dialogue. And, and you know, like this hashtag, to the to next press, is, is a great way for people to share about how they're um, tackling uh, civic discourse and, and becoming informed and understanding the opposing side, how, how's that working out there? And I, I think this, this is just a great way to do that. So I, I appreciate the way you talked about um, the, that teachers were actually uh, giving students more room and space for conversation and study. Um, 
and 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 I and when I think about what you're saying, I, I also think about the the teachers that I've worked with that that actually changed their instructional practices. To it, it it requires a different kind of classroom to have space for conversation, to have time and space for study, and and as you describe your work, um, the, that is very clear that you've moved into a very strong agented classroom where students are decision makers um, and where they turn to each other, not just mm -hmm. the teacher. And that's a, that's a big shift. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I just think it's, it, yeah, if we go back to that, I think you, you called it out. Students need to become informed. They, they need to understand what the opposing side is saying, and they need to be able to go where they need to go as far as where the, where the issues of the day are, are taking them. Um, there's, I, I, I think in that way, if we can think about what the media leads us to, and a lot of, a lot of negative talk about the media, but the media really brings up a lot of opportunities to cover controversial issues. And it provides us with an endless supply, I think. And I think you know our students see that just as well as we do. And um, a classroom, it, it all comes back to the structure, but a classroom can work through those issues. So it sounds like we're close to being ready to wrap up, but I just wanted to give anyone, Linda, uh, Casey, or Tom, an opportunity if you have any last thoughts that you'd like to say about how to create this, you know, space for generosity and inquiry in the classroom. I would, I would definitely say check out the CRWP website and look through those materials and, and jump in and just, mm -hmm. just try it out. Yeah, I'd also like to mention that um, we actually created a couple of mini-units specifically for the letters to the next president. So one of those is already up on their website and where you can you can find it there pretty easily. There's also a lot of really great um, resources on the letters to the next president. And then our second one is coming very soon and should be available. So we see, we have seen from the very beginning, great connections between CRWP and letters to the next president. So, um, so it wasn't hard at all to make mini-units that fit. It's um, this particular approach to argument writing. So I guess I'll just take you know the last minute here to thank all of you for being here. Um, thank many thank yous to the guests and then to the people who are watching either live or later on. Uh, if you would like to keep up to date on future opportunities, you can sign up for the monthly newsletter at educatorinnovator.org and follow Educator Innovator on Twitter at, at innovates underscore ed. And um, also don't forget to follow the hashtag to next prez hashtag and Twitter account for more on letters to the next president 2.0. You should also visit the website at letters2president.org, and that's a two in the middle, the number, not the word. Um, and you can sign up and join that website to get updates on Letters to the Next President. So thank you all again, and have a great night. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Good night.